The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We want to go to uh, 1 John this evening and continue our topical survey of 1 John. And uh, we looked at the verses that deal with love from the Gospel of John last time. And we want to look at some verses uh, from 1 John that deal with that same topic. I want to highlight, I dare say, the theme of love from the, the Gospel of John. In John chapter 13 and in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's pretty evident from the way that the Spirit has guided Brother Joe's and mine studies and messages that we need to be hearing about love because he had a beautiful message last time last Wednesday from Ephesians chapter 3 and that reminds us of the, the magnitude of God's love toward us and that's where it all all starts and I want us to be reminded of that because our love toward others flows out of and from God's love toward us, and we have to understand the magnitude to the degree, understand to the degree that we can, to the best of our ability, the magnitude of God's love toward us, because we are then called to love others as I have loved you. And boy, that's a high bar, isn't it? That is a high bar. And I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and read those same verses that Brother Joe preached from last week, beginning in verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. We need to be stable. We need to be strong, not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but be established and rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us and to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And I just had to read those last two verses because it's just wrong to stop at the end of verse 19, okay? Uh, but ever since last week, actually, this is not what I want to We'll see what we get to tonight <laughs> because uh, I've had this on my mind ever since Brother Joe's message last week at the end of verse 19, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And it talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 about how that same power 
that resurrected Christ from the dead is the same power by which we believe and the same power that resides inside of us. I mean, that is amazing to think about, isn't it? That the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave resides inside of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if Christ in you, the hope of glory resides inside of you, part of that power is love, right? Part of that that overwhelming sovereignty and power of God that resides inside of us is his character of love. God is love. You may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to have a better understanding of the love of Christ because we will not be able to carry out our commission to be the disciples of Christ, to manifest city that's set on the hill, to be the light of the world. The main way that we show forth that light is by showing forth the love of Christ. As he has loved us, we show forth that same love to others. And that power, that ability resides inside of us. Sometimes we think, well, I just don't have the ability to love in that way that we're called to. That power and that ability and that love resides inside of you. We're just called to work out what God's already worked in. We just have to, by His grace, now God enables you to do it. This is in Philippians chapter 2. God enables you to do it by His will. Now unto Him that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gives you the strength to do it. He encourages you to do it. He guides you by his spirit to do it. But at the same time, you have to work out what God's working in. Okay, don't quench the spirit. You know, the spirit is guiding you to follow Christ's pattern of love, uh, to love others in the manner that he has loved us. And we need to work out what God has already worked in. So love is one of the defined titles and names that God takes for himself. We'll come back hopefully and look at this portion more in depth, but I want to get the phrase first though. In 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And I want, I want you to just continue to meditate on that as we go through this. The character of God is identified by agape, self-sacrificial love. Amen. The uh, best definition that I've ever seen of agape, self-sacrificial love, charity, love in action, that we see the word charity many times in the New Testament is from one of the uh, Nelson study Bibles that I had. Agape love, a willing, self-sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another without the thought of return. Willing, first of all, but it has to be self-sacrificing. It has to put uh, someone else's needs above your own for you to be inconvenienced, for you to be injured. Giving of oneself for the benefit of another. And this is probably the, the, the identifying attribute without the thought of return. Because Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount, listen, if you only love people that love you, you're not any better than the heathen and the publicans. If this is just a business transaction, and I'm, and I'm doing a good to you so you can owe me one or two to where you'll do good to me in the future, that's not agape love. Amen. That's just good business, okay? Agape love sacrifices. And it sacrifices primarily, we're going to see here, in 1 John, 
This sacrifice is exhibited by showing love toward the brethren. And that's what Christ was getting around to there in John chapter 13, where he said, you love one another as I have loved you, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not the way that we love our enemies. We're supposed to do that. But we are identified in this world by the way we love one another in the church. Amen. All of this that we're going to find here in 1 John, it's not talking about you loving your enemies. This is talking about you loving your brother. How we love our brother. And Lord forbid we ever hate our brother because that is certainly not of God. Let's begin this here in 1 John chapter 2. And particularly beginning in the first chapter, God is introduced as light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then he connects those two together. The light is one of the attributes of God. It illuminates, it brightens, it warms. And God's character of light is perfectly connected with his character of love. Just as God is light, and we're supposed to be now the light of the world, God is love, and we're supposed to show his love to the world and particularly to our brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> okay, verse 8, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So he's talking about light. He that saith he's in the light, but he hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, first of all, we need to understand that this language here in 1 John is describing a general disposition of someone's life that the, the totality of the testimony of your life should exhibit love, should exhibit belief, should exhibit godliness and obeying commandments. But, we, but another uh, principle that's taught very prevalently in 1 John is that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and that's a sin by you professing that you're not in sin. Right. Okay? So this is describing the general disposition of one's life because we're going to find a little bit later on in uh, chapter 3 where he says, look, if you hate your brother without a cause, you're a murderer, just like Cain, who was of that wicked one, and a murderer, and, and he uses this language there in chapter 3, I think it's verse 16, that, and we know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Well, now, now wait a minute. What's the prime example of that? Of a child of God who committed murder. Well, David did, right? The man after God's own heart. So, this is not saying that people on death row are all going to hell. This is not saying that people that uh, have committed homicide are going to go. The, the person that is still in their sins that committed that sin of murder is going to go to hell. But we have to really understand the standard of God's law because he says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you hate your brother without a cause, 
If you are angry, it says here in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whatsoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, uh, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So hating your brother without a cause is not doing as uh, always as Cain did and taking whatever instrument he did to, to slay Abel, there's a real sense in which we're all condemned murderers before God. But the general disposition of our life is not to go around trying to kill people like Cain did. The general disposition of our life, I understand that we can uh, get uh, bad attitudes in our heart that we need to repent of. But that should not be the normal dis, uh, disposition of your life. Amen. To hold grudges and to hate your brother without a cause. Because when you're doing that, if God is love, if you'll let me use this language, it says with light, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Well, God is love and in him is no hatred at all. Right? Where does hatred come from? It comes from the devil. It comes from Satan, doesn't it? So if you are walking in hatred toward a brother and a sister in Christ, this is not describing your eternal state. But are you walking hand in hand with Jesus? Are you walking hand in hand with Satan? If you're walking in hatred, you're not walking hand in hand with Jesus. And you're walking in darkness. And by the way, you're going to be in great danger when you're walking in darkness because the darkness, it says in verse 11, has blinded your eyes. If you love your brother and you abide in the light, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Well, if you're walking in darkness, what are you inevitably going to do? Well, you're going to stumble and fall, aren't you? And that will, it will escalate. It will always escalate to cause you to sin in other areas. He says, uh, he that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother, he's in, in, in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So when we're walking in darkness, we're prone to stumble. But then he continues on. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth. I mean, people are just, it's going to blind you because you're not walking in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not guiding your actions if you're walking in hatred. So therefore, you're going to be making bad decisions in other areas because you're not abiding in Christ and walking in the Holy Spirit. Okay? <clears throat> Chapter 3 and verse 1 now. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And I don't really have anything to add to that other than you just go home and meditate on that. <laughs> Behold what manner of love, the magnitude of God's love toward us, and we will be praising God for that for all of eternity. We thank the Lord for that. Verse 8, 1 John chapter 3 and in verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. 
for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So back up to verse 9. First of all, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Well, he says multiple other times in this same epistle, that if you say that you don't sin, then the truth's not in you, you know? Uh, if you don't love your brother, the truth's not in you. Well, if you say you don't sin, the truth's not in you either. So what does this mean that it doesn't sin? The, which is amazing to think about, our soul, our regenerated soul, as it sits inside of us, is perfectly pure and cannot be corrupted. It is fit for heaven right now, which is amazing to think about. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And our soul... Our body at the resurrection, our body is not fit for heaven right now. There's something that's going to have to happen to our body before it is allowed in the presence of God. But that, what happened, uh, what is necessary for your soul to abide in the presence of God has already happened at regeneration. That, well, what's going to happen to our bodies in glorification has already happened to our souls in regeneration. And our, and our souls, as they sit inside of us, are perfectly fit for the presence of God. Yeah. And it'd have to be, right? Because who resides in there? Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Yeah. Jesus resides in our heart. It's got to be perfect if Jesus is dwelling in there. And that character of the soul, of the regenerated soul, there is no possibility for that to ever sin or to ever be corrupted. So therefore, when sin come out of our external actions, where does it come from? It didn't come from your natural soul. It comes from the flesh, right? right. It comes from the flesh. And that seed, that's the language he uses in verse 9, that seed remaineth in him, and that seed cannot sin. Our souls cannot be diminished or corrupted in any way. Now, the external body, well, we can make a mess of our external actions and our flesh can, can make shipwreck of our life. But even the child of God, I mean, think about Lot. Think about Lot. How does it describe his, he was living in, in abject sin, rebellion to God, but how does it describe his soul in the New Testament? A just and a righteous soul. Now, externally, boy, he was a mess, wouldn't he? But inside, inside his soul, there was no sin in his soul. There was no corruption of the righteous and the just soul of Lot, despite all of his shortcomings in an external way. But in this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, this is talking about the general disposition of your life. We can all have moments where we have animosity and hatred and grudges toward a brother. And the Holy Spirit, if your conscience has not been seared, the Holy Spirit will convict you to repent of that. Yeah. Okay? But if you live your entire life 
just hating others and hating, uh, being hateful and hating uh, one another. That is an evidence that one is not among God's children. Right. At, l- l- well, let me, let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. That is evidence that they have not yet been regenerated. Yes. Okay? Now, someone can exhibit that earlier in their life. I mean, Saul of Tarsus is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. He could exhibit hatred earlier in his life, but he could still be among God's elect. God just hasn't born him again yet. Right. Okay? But the general disposition of God's children should be loving the brethren. Loving the brethren, not hating the brethren. Because the devil and Cain, who was of that wicked one, are identified with hatred. God is not identified with hatred. You know, people start talking about the absolute predestination of all things. Did God decree for Adam to sin in the garden? The answer to that is no. But... Another, you start following that down the logical path. Well, um, did God decree before the foundation of the world for Cain to, to uh, kill Abel? No, of course not. Of course not. He didn't plan for Cain to sl- slay his brother. Why did that happen? Well, I, I think it came from the same place that the sin in the Garden of Eden came from. From the temptation of Satan, who was of that wicked one. And the reality is... Why did he kill him? The scripture tells us right here, verse 12. Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. You know, it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, doesn't it? The wicked hate the righteous. It's just the way it is. Verse 14. We know you can have confidence of your salvation. You can have a peace and a assurance and justification by faith says that we justify by, by faith. We have peace with God and we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. We can feel that peace and assurance by belief, we, which is the primary. Okay, I want to make sure we issue this. Scriptural disclaimer, first of all, okay? Um, I've heard some people say that, you know what? I know that he lived a bad life. I know he cheated on his wife, and he got drunk all the time, and he was gambling uh, down at the country store all the time. But you know what? I think I just saw him. I think he was a good old boy, and, and I think I saw some love in him. Well, you know what you may have. You may have. But this is saying in your assessment of your... This is not talking about our assessment of other people. Okay? We know that we have passed from death into life. This is talking about justification by faith. And in a different context, but the same application, justification by faith gives you assurance and peace in your own heart. This is talking about one of the ways that you can have assurance and peace in your heart that you are among God's elect. Okay? But in an external way, we cannot scripturally pat people on the back that have never professed belief in Jesus Christ 
but the, it looks like that they love their dog, and it looks like that, that you know, and they're a good old boy, so what they do? Because they're a good old boy, they know how to change tire. You know, they, they stop on the side of the road, they change their tire. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did that. But you know what? That in and of itself, you stopping and changing somebody's tire is not in and of itself agape love that's an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit if you have not professed a belief in Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want to make sure we draw a clear distinction. This is why we talk about justification. We have to put it in the right courtrooms. Because this is not talking about us looking at someone else's life and saying, you know what? I think that they show love to the brethren. I think they, so maybe I think that they're passed from death and life. You ask yourself this question. This is your litmus test. This is not my uh, uh, determining factor of who is and who is not a child of God. This is your litmus test. And, the, and this litmus test is, do you love the brethren? And answer that in your own heart. Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brethren? I believe I can confidently say, I love the brethren. I love the brethren and I love the sisters. I love the church. I love God's people. And, and <laughs> I, remember, uh, I remember when I was uh, in the wedding, uh, one of my good friends in college, and I, I was a groomsman. I met this girl that was a... Uh, that was a bridesmaid, and, and we were talking at the at the rehearsal dinner. People in Macedonia have heard this story quite a few times, but uh, they started asking me because she was going. Her and her her and her fiance were going to to India or somewhere in in, in uh, Asia to to go and save souls, and and they were going to become missionaries. And she asked me if I knew the Lord. She asked me if I knew the Lord. So I started telling her all the reasons that. That I knew the Lord, you know, I, I believe in the Lord, and and, uh, and I believe that I have passed from death and life. Because I love the brethren, I can, I can sincerely say I love the brethren, and I want to serve the Lord. I want to follow the commandments. But bless that girl's heart, she did not hear that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And she went and found her fiance, and they spent about thirty minutes at that wedding trying to convince me that I was probably a false professor. And there was going to come a time, just like the, the, the wrong interpretation of Matthew 7, all right, that there's going to, I'm going to be one of those people that's going to come before the Lord, and he's going to go, oh, but Lord, I, I did all these things in your name. Oh, but I never knew you. And they were terrified. They were terrified that, uh, and, and I, I still feel guilty. I was, I, I was not speaking back then, and I was not near as bold as I should have been. Boy, I would have loved to take a time uh, capsule back to that moment with what I know right now and just corner them for about three hours <laughs> and tell them because, and I've thought, about, I've thought about them very often since then, because if they were so terrified of me going to hell, boy, you're going to have a miserable life as a missionary. All right? Thinking that everyone you meet is going to hell. So the question is not you trying to, to determine a checklist of this is what I think you need to meet so I can tell you you're a child of God. The only determining factor is in your litmus test, in your heart, do you love the brethren? In your heart, do you love the brethren? Well, you can have a peace and an assurance that you have passed from death unto life. Amen. Okay? Now, if you hate the brethren... I'll say this. Also, 
you probably, it's amazing the difference between a, a born again, regenerated soul and an unborn again soul. Uh, if you ask an unregenerate person that, they will probably attempt to self-justify themselves and they probably won't even understand and be able to recognize in their own mind that they really do hate people. It's amazing that the contrast there, uh, that they probably don't even understand the state that they're in. Why? Because they don't have spiritual eyes and spiritual mind to, to understand that. Okay? Okay. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down... No, verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, if you go around killing people, if you're a serial killer, all right, the Lord can save anybody, but if you're a serial killer, I personally don't have a lot of confidence in the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Okay, if you're a serial killer. And if you go around hating people all the time, and you know what? You're the one that knows your heart, but if you go around hating people all the time, then... That's not a good state to be in, okay? And that is not evidence of God's, of God's children. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now understand the why. It all has to start with salvation by the free and sovereign grace and love of God alone. That's where it has to start at. Because otherwise, you're going to start bargaining with people. You're going to start saying, well, you haven't done this. You haven't met this standard. You, this is what you did to me last week. This is what you haven't done. This is what you, all, all the offenses. This is all, everything that you haven't done that you should have done. What's that definition of charity? The willing, sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of another without the thought of return. Without the thought of return. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I think that we all, when we're in the Spirit, would say, you know what, I think I'd be willing to give my life. You know, you watch like a hostage movie or a hostage show or something. You know what? No, don't take them. Take me. Right? I feel like I'd be doing that. I feel like I'd want to do that. Uh, if I was full of the Spirit, if I was full of the flesh, you know, I'd probably be running away. But... <laughs> I would hope that I would do that. I would hope that I would do that. But you're not really going to be called to do that. There's a very, very low, low, low probability that you're going to be called to do that. What is the direct application of laying down our lives for the brethren that he proceeds to in the next few verses? Giving of simply our goods to help those that are in need. You know, laying down your life is not about being willing to take a bullet. Now, if you serve God in the small things, you should be willing to do that in the big things, okay? But the application, he says here, of laying down your lives with brethren is not um, trying to have me killed instead of them killed. Instead, verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, when he says let us not love in word, 
neither in tongue. It doesn't say this here, but if you'll let me add that, don't, uh, don't love in word or in tongue only. Right. Now, we need to profess a love one to another. We need to tell one another how much we love one another. We need to do that. But those words are null and void if they're not backed up by actions, right? If they are not exhibit, if that love is not exhibited by actions, then our testimony is proven to be false. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And this speaks more of the internal assurance that we were talking about earlier. If, first of all, well, I'll add this. We need to help our brothers and sisters as we have ability. Now, there may be a time our heart desires, our heart yearns to help someone, but we may not always in that exact moment have the ability. But you know in your own heart, do I have a desire to do it, but I just can't do it, or am I just being selfish? Okay? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know. Okay, this is another one of those internal assurances that you know. Hereby we know that we are of the truth. If we are willing to give of our own to help a brother that's in need. But then he goes, the other side of it is true, that if we just totally ignore the needs of those that are in destitute conditions, when we have the ability to help them, he says, how can you publicly profess that the love of God dwells inside of you? That's what the Holy Spirit says right there. And again, you're the one who answers this question. I'm not saying that you have to give X amount of dollars, X percent, any of that. This is between you and your conscience and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. To, to have assurance in the grace of God. Now, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, that's good to be reminded of, isn't it? Because there are some times that we are convicted. We're convicted and, and I didn't get near as far as I intended. Uh, I think the fourth chapter is some of the most beautiful language about the love of God in all of Scripture. And we're not going to make it anywhere near the fourth chapter tonight. Um, and another place I wanted to go was 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about the love of God and all the attributes of the love of God. And we have those verses on our wall in our bedroom. And sometimes when I'm going to bed, I look at those verses on our wall and I just have to say, Lord, forgive me for my lack of love today. I mean, it's just pitiful. It's just pitiful how selfish I can be. And when I do that and I... and I look over there at that picture uh, on, on the side of our wall that quotes those verses from 1 Corinthians 13. There are times where all I feel is condemnation in my heart. If our hearts condemn us, it's good to be reminded that, you know what? I hope that I can walk in peace and the assurance in my courtroom of justification by faith and in my heart and my conscience. I hope that I can walk not in pride, but in Bold humility, if you'll let me put it like that. Um, 
that, that I am among God's children. But you know what? There's going to be some times that my heart does not feel righteous. My heart does not feel at peace. But aren't you glad that even when my heart, the, the courtroom of justification by faith, if you will, when it's reaching a verdict that I'm not righteous before God, aren't you glad that there's a higher courtroom? Amen. Aren't you glad that there's a Supreme Court? Aren't you glad that and when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, Amen. right? Because there are times that we feel convicted, right? We, we, we see the standard, and the only thing we can say, bless our heart, just about every day, is, Lord, I've failed again. <laughs> All I've done is fail in loving people the way I ought to love. All I've done is fail again. Lord, please forgive me, but, Lord, praise God that... Your covenant faithfulness is greater than my heart. Right? Think about Psalm 89 where it says, If my people, they're disobedient and they, and they sin and they fall away. And he says, Nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not suffer to fail. Right? God's love's not going to fail. So my heart, my heart can, build, can feel condemned and I can feel like, you know, if, my, if I died today, there's many hymns that express that, that struggle and that burden. Uh, if I died today, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I'd die. I don't know, I don't know if I'd go to heaven because I feel so convicted right now. Aren't you glad that God's greater than, than your heart? Amen. Amen. But the other side of that is you don't need to be walking around convicted all the time because you need to go love people like you ought to. <laughs> Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Amen? Amen? That if we do our best, and I'll tell you, your best is, is not good enough. It'll never be good enough. At our best day, we're still unprofitable servants. But the reality is that you know in your heart, you know in your heart, today, have I really put others' needs ahead of my own? Have I really said that I'm going to make a commitment to self-sacrificial love others am I going to you know there's this thing that I've had on my Amazon wish list for a long time and I think that I have the ability to finally go buy that but I go by someone that stands in it am I willing to give up or defer that thing I've been wanting on my on my wish list for so long to say you know what I'm gonna take that hundred dollars and give it to someone who I know is in need well, I tell you, you may enjoy whatever, whatever trinket is that you yeah. want off of Amazon, and, you, and you, it may be very functional, and you may get a lot of good out of it. But it, it does not compare to the confirmation of the Holy Spirit in your heart when you have willfully sacrificed something that you wanted for the benefit of someone else, and that is the closest that we can come to loving like Christ here in this world. Amen. Okay? God help us to love one another in the manner that Christ Amen. has loved us. But also, Lord, please forgive us. <laughs> please forgive us for our sins every day and give us grace to get up and try to do better, to love one another as we ought to love. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia 
www.pbc.org.